Welcome to Gear Full of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. Each episode, your hosts bring you news, views, and abuse from America's professional rugby union, along with all the latest on the USA national team. Now, with all that said, let's get on with the show. And we're live. Welcome to the Earful of Dirt Podcast. Uh, we are back after a week off. We we all ne- decided we needed a bye week last week. It was, I think a lot of us very much appreciated that. I know I did. Craig, how'd you feel about it? Well, I felt great because I was in Disney World. So uh, it's a pretty uh, magical time with the kids. Uh, and I, I also, I just got a new phone. I got the new iPhone like the day before I went to Disney World. Um, and, you know. Uh, I, everyone realizes this, but you don't fully appreciate how you have to sign back into everything when you get a new phone. So I hadn't gone back into WhatsApp, and I realized it was Wednesday. It was podcast day, and I hadn't heard anything from the year four of people. I was like, man, real quiet on the chat. And I, so I opened WhatsApp, and I see that I'm just not signed into it. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, man, uh, I don't even know if we're supposed to pod today. So uh, I was relieved to see we're okay to, to take a bye week. And uh, I enjoyed some time with Mickey and the family. And I, now I'm back in full work attire. <laughs> for watching this, uh, for watching us live. I only just got home from the office, so uh, you get to see, you know, the uh, business casual Monday morning fly half here. <laughs> I, it's all good, you know. I, you, you, you. So more than me, I just sit at home and just dead entry all day and just sit in my PJ. So <laughs> sounds nice. That was like two years of COVID, but now they they've dragged us back to the office. So that's what it is. I can feel that we I may be forced to start going back to the office myself coming here soon. So, all right. Why don't we just jump into the week's action? Sorry for the loud outburst. Let's there. I just do it. Yeah. All right. First up, I do we want to call this one a surprise? I know. So it was the first first game of the match. First match of the weekend. Excuse me. We had rugby ATL versus Austin, you know, Austin coming in undefeated, having that high powered offense and ATL ends up controlling the game 29 to 14. You know, they really kept Austin out of rhythm. Um, Let's see, you know, Matt Heaton, um, Marco Jans van Rensburg and Martini Talapusi had scored tries for ATL. Um, Talapusi also knocked over four penalty kicks, ended up with, Trying to do the math. 19 points on the weekend. Sorry. And that so he outscored ATL by himself. You know, they they were able to contain both Connor Mooneyham and um Julian Dominguez. Um Marcel Brocky kind of looked nervous to me. Did did you kind of get that effect from him a little bit, Craig? I feel like um I, I knew there was a surprise, first of all, which you I guess is how you open this segment here. Um, But I feel like having watched it, what I saw was an Atlanta defense that was really disrupting what Austin tries to do, which as you now reflect on what happened, I think you can look back and say, you know, Austin's attack has been much better this year than in last year's, uh, at least most of last year. But, they do seem to rely on having time in the backfield to, you know, run certain plays or certain, you know, in football, what I would call stunts where they like, you know, move a guy from a, out of the lane. You expect him to come in, come somewhere else. And a lot of that runs through Marcel Brocky, I think. Um, 
and they just they didn't have time to do that because again I, you know compared to football is how I just instinctively think of some of these things it's like when you run a reverse in football but the defensive pressure gets into the backfield so quick that you can't let it develop there's no time to actually hand the ball off and change directions or whatever um so the play gets stuffed it felt like that's what was happening was Atlanta was in the backfield so quickly that Austin didn't have time to let any of their plays develop and so I think Marcel Brocky was and all uh, you know Austin they scored they scored a while they were shut out, they scored 14 points. It was what it was, I think. But you know, they they just weren't able to. They didn't have the time or the space to execute the way they normally do in the backfield. I think that really threw them off their game. And you know, I, I definitely agree with that. They Atlanta has always seemed to play with that high intensity, high pace, force the action on offense. And it seems like they finally have brought it around to their defense. You know, they've mainly relied on their offense to start the season. We saw that against um, New York where it, it kind of cost them and yeah. them getting laxical with their, with their defense, excuse me. But, you know, yeah, we finally saw what they're capable of. I mean, I, I think it's a, it worked in this case. I, I still do think it's a risky strategy though. Cause for example, I think a difference between New York and the way they played Atlanta and Austin is New York. Do, I think they try to do less in the backfield but they do a better job of keeping the ball alive through contact. So they'll have people go into contact and they'll, they'll get an off low. They don't, they, they keep the play moving forward. Uh, whereas Austin tries to do more in the backfield to create an opening and then attack through it. And so it, the, the Atlanta rush defense worked well against Austin because they didn't have the space to do what they wanted to do. New York did, doesn't need that space. That's not how they want to do things. They want to do more like ad hoc offload, unexpected support, you know, good support lines, that sort of thing. And that was much more problematic for the Atlanta defense rush. Cause when you rush forward, if you don't stop the ball dead, the ball gets behind the defensive line and now you're in trouble. They didn't have that same problem, at least not to the same degree with Austin because they do less after contact in my view than New York does. No, I, I definitely agree with you there. Uh, Moving on, second game of the weekend, uh, our first snowball of the weekend. Um, you know, we finally saw um, New England play a home game in um, Quincy's Veterans um, Stadium. Was, I thought it, you know, thought it was a good stadium. You know, they had that high camera points um, similar to what Dallas had. Um, they had the, unfortunately, they had the lines show through. I was told, or we were told that the lines were to be covered, but it looks like the weather had washed away whatever cover they had used. So that that's what happened there. Um, you know, even in the weather, it, it seemed like a good game, but when it really started coming down, it finally kind of broke down and, you know, had yellow cards on both sides. Um, I know Josh, Josh Larson, um, what I think his was taking someone off the ball. And then um, the Toronto one was another case of, um, I want to say, TMO referee miscommunication almost. Um, yeah, but, just go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. But you know, it did it, it end up being a good game. Boating Waka being Boating Waka, you know, breaking through the line, getting that, getting that first try assist. Um, you know, in Toronto just wasn't out of it at all. They, you know, they kept themselves in the game. They had a, they had a chance. They, they got to try at the end to get that losing bonus point, but they still just seem to be missing that last little bit. Yeah. 
I mean, to me, this is just a really hard one to assess. And the weather was so bad. Play was really erratic. A lot of uh, attacking efforts, I thought, were ultimately wasted by handling errors that were probably due to the, the weather. Booty and Walk obviously is a key to what New England tries to do in attack. Um, he had a fantastic, you know, up and over uh, kick to score the first try early. Um, but uh, I don't know, hard to take much away from this. I guess if there was any team that was going to be well-equipped to play in the Snow Bowl in New England, it would have been Toronto, you'd, you'd imagine. Uh, but, I mean, and they, they handled it just as well as New England did, the weather, I thought. Um, just hard to take much away from it. Uh, you know, New England is a gritty team. They they play tough. They play physical. And I think in, in a situation of extreme weather, that's a, an attribute that, tends to show up well. Uh, and so I thought that's what happened for New England. But, you know, I, I don't know. I, I can't really take much away from this game. It wasn't – it was too uh, too delicate stepping in the weather for me to really draw many conclusions. <laughs> no, I, I, I think we can always – you know, rough weather games are always kind of hard to, to judge, especially in the snow. I think we could – I think you could judge rain games a little bit more. But, you know, especially this is – I think the second or third game that Toronto's played in snow conditions, it obviously went better than the first when they played against the Raptors in that horrible blizzard. I know because I was in the middle of it taking pictures. And then so that that was that was so much fun. But yeah, I think and then Nola and Toronto and excuse me, Nola and Utah could definitely agree because they then played a snowball match themselves the following week from that Toronto um, Raptors game. So next up, um, I think it was. I think if we had to make a list of games to watch or like levels to watch, this this game probably would have been low on our list. Um, it ended up. It was Nolan Dallas. Surprisingly, turned out to be a good game. Um, you know, Nola took it. Nola took uh, took it thirty two to twenty six. You know, it was a high scoring action. Definitely the kind of game that you want to you want from a new team you don't want those blowouts like we got with new york like we got with against austin so it was definitely a good game you know eric deposky is showing why he was drafted number one overall alex tucci got a got a try after you know a couple of weeks now um and then excuse me if I keep wanting to call him someone else. Um, Alejandro Torres got a brace for Dallas as well. You know, they are making making progress. They're up to four points now, um, but still missing that little bit on defense. They seem to get haggard and just just lay off. And then they looked like they were making progress in the scrum, but then again, sometimes they weren't. So, you know, finally Nola had their way and got five tries over the line and ended up winning. Yeah, as you said, this, you know, I'm just be honest. I did not watch this one, uh, so I only have the stats to go on. But I think this what the result did immediately spark in my mind was the question of is the East just better than the West? You know, like if uh, yeah, I mean, I guess Jackals and and Nola are both sort of towards the bottom of, of their respective conferences, but Nola now beat. Seattle now beat Dallas and the score was close, but I, I mean, you know, I, I don't just look at the stats and my senses and that it was like tremendously close. I think, you know, it looks like, uh, 
and it looks like Nola had a, a significant penalty disadvantage. They, they conceded a lot more penalties is, you know, my guess probably why this was able to stay as close as it was. So, you know, I, I think I, I, I'm coming away wondering if just in a, in a straight up match, you know, relatively similarly positioned teams in the table on the East are going to outperform those same teams on the West. Uh, so I guess we'll see how that, I could see a future column, uh, exploring that uh, as the season goes on. Hey, maybe, maybe we can make that a discussion topic one week too. There we go. I know there's there's definitely been some confusion about the <coughs> excuse me the standings um, posted on the ML Rugby subreddit today was a question about tiebreakers um, because at first and you, one would think that head to head would probably be higher up the list than it is. But yeah. it's not. It's it's actually the fifth tiebreaker. Yeah. So, um, so European. Those, <laughs> yeah. For those who are who are wondering, rugby New York, and after this weekend, rugby New York and New England Free Jacks are tied on 19 points apiece. Uh, you know, four wins, one loss each. They both had the same point differential at um, 38 points. They both have um, 20 tries scored. But the difference is coming in in that New York has given up one less try, and that is why they are that is why the standings are now fixed and that they are on second because that is actually the fourth tiebreaker. So, yeah, the the top of the East is ridiculously close through I guess was six weeks, uh, so that's exciting. Yeah. Um, and again, I, you know, we look at these stats. Uh, you know, there's a new stat provider is my understanding this year in MOR. You also, I mean, I have to wonder. Sometimes you look at stats just mathematically. It's clear that it's not right. Like you'll see, they'll give you the number of tries, number of conversions, number of penalty kicks, and that won't add up to the score. Um, so, I mean, I, I think they're still certainly working out some kinks. This is the second time I've seen stats where a team has over 250 tackles in a game. Maybe that's true. Uh, but I, again, I, I think I, it's hard to, I try to Google the record for like most tackles by a team in a game. And it's not something that I easily found. Uh, but five minutes of Google suggested to me that the record for a six nations game, at least was like two fifty. So this would be the second time this year that, that an MLR game has more tackles than any six nations game in history. Uh, so I'm a little skeptical, but again, here's where you see is in this list according to us, you know, the, MLR website, Nola had 267 tackles in this one. So maybe maybe we can ask you know friend of the show James Delay to pull that stats up. See if we can. I don't know if that's something he has easy access to. See if he can't get you know n- most number of tackles in MLR history. I don't know if that or at least this year or or just world rugby history. I yeah. mean, I feel like it's MLR history. It's going to be one of these couple games, but uh, you know. That, that seems like a number it's hard for me to believe, I guess, is my point. Yeah. All right. Next up, game of the week. Probably the game of the week for most people, if not the the next one after this. You know, Houston and Seattle. Houston's making those strides. Seattle just – I mean, I think they're, they're literally a conversion away from tying this. So, you know, both teams have made strides. Seattle, after last year, coming back to form. Houston just – coming to form period, um, you know, bringing in those South Africans because, um, you know, most of their points are coming from South Africans now. You know, Dylan Smith, they're starting um, scrum half, has had a great impact on the game for them, you know, has made it, you know, go quicker, 
has a faster attack. You can see him when they're getting penalties. He's grabbing the ball and getting back and starting that quick kick. And that's actually how they've gotten most of their tries this season. I have, I do believe, you know, I believe he got another one tonight. CC Mahoney got a try for them. He's coming back into form. And then Seattle, you know, just, just a couple weeks in a row now that they're something's just a little bit off. You know, last week they lost to Nola, or if, if, sorry if that was the week before. Yeah, that um, was last week. That was last week, and then today they just couldn't close out. You know, they had that they had a they had it tied, and then in the seventieth minute, they, they Nola got through. Or excuse me, Houston got through and took the lead, and Seattle did get a try back, but they just couldn't finish it out and ended up losing the game. Yeah. Actually, I, I thought both teams actually played pretty well on this one. Uh, Houston, you, know, you mentioned Dylan Schmidt. I think I, I was critical of him a couple weeks ago. I mean, he does press the pace. I, I agree, though. I think they've been working on, in my view, at least it seems they've been working on like a little better timing within their own team. You know, it seemed like in the first, you know, they, they beat LA week one. And they did that by with a very slow, very plotting, very conservative attack that has held the ball so long. And LA had three yellow cards, so that certainly helped. And but but Houston was able to basically just deny them the ability to attack long enough to edge them. That was probably their most effective game until this week. Um, but I had I had said then, and I had been worried. Through, yeah, for the first few weeks that their attack was just too vanilla uh, to do well, and they couldn't rely on getting multiple yellow cards to fatigue the other side every week. And I, you know, a few weeks in, you know, they, Houston have a number of seven stars, you know, between uh, Danny Barrett, obviously, and Al, Al Jabouri, um, and they kind of brought them all in to start, I don't know, maybe it was three weeks ago for the first time. And I feel like that really added an element of excitement to their attack they were missing, which I thought was a good thing, but they weren't all on the same page yet. I didn't feel like, and I thought Schmidt was trying to force too much. And that was like, he got excited by the, it's again, obviously, what do I know? But just watching, it seemed like he was getting amped up by the added, you know, enthusiasm and excitement and attack, but he was forcing too many passes in really tight quarters you know, really flat passes right on the defensive players. And you know, even if Houston caught three out of four, when you're doing that every phase, you eventually knock something on and they were they were struggling. I thought this week they finally really got that balance right where they were pressing the attack, they were offering different looks, doing some exciting things, but they were still being careful with the ball the way they were in week one against L.A., and I thought they had this a similar impact where for the first half, it felt like Seattle didn't even touch the ball. I mean, it was all Houston controlling the ball. And it was a low-scoring affair, but that was fine. It was Houston's playing the way they wanted to play. They were giving enough low. They swore to try, you know, which they, and I think they did not do, um, at least not through phase play against L.A. in the first half in week one. So they, and, and Seattle was playing well. They were defending tough, and Houston was able to score. They came out in the second half and they weren't able to, to play that way. And for like the first 20 minutes of the second half, to, in my view, it was all Seattle. They had they now had the ball and they were showing what they could do. And they I'm pretty sure they pulled ahead to a lead at one point. I think it was 12 to 7 Houston at one point. Um uh, 12 to 7 Seattle rather at one point. Um but then again Houston pulled it in and they 
reverse the momentum again. And once again, they got the ball and just held on to it. And they played fairly conservatively, but with enough different looks to score. And, it, and really the, the transition point was when it was Seattle that made a big, a costly error when they were driving deep in Houston territory. They, they um, were taking the ball from the back of the ruck. I think just made a bad pass. They made it slip out of, out of the scrum hands hands or something. It just hit the dirt, hit the turf. Danny Barrett picked it up, broke free, ran almost all the way back. He ended up offloading to Dylan Schmidt, who was running in support. Uh, and that was the go-ahead try for Houston, and then they added another for the win, you know, for the, the bigger margin at the end. Um, but I thought this was Houston's best game, and this is a dangerous team. If they, if they can play with this balance of attacking excitement but the same big, physical, low-mistake uh, at least a little ball handling type of mistake play. I think they could be a team that could beat anyone. Uh, Seattle, I, I don't I, like Seattle's loss to Nola was a bad loss. I don't think this is a bad loss. I think they played pretty well. They they played as a team that just had a better day. Uh, but I, I thought they still showed a lot of in that twenty minute period. Where they actually were able to get the balls in their the ball in their hand. I thought they showed a lot of uh, good things. So. Uh, I don't think Seattle should feel bad about this either. No, I definitely don't think they should. It is definitely a good performance. You know, it is it is kind of tough after starting the season the way they did and then coming into, you know, two straight losses. Um, I, the one thing they could take away is the losing bonus point kept them ahead of Houston in the, in the, um, in the standings. It is currently 16 to 15 in the third, fourth spot. So definitely good news for them. Um, you know, probably, and then we'll move on to probably what most people consider game of the week. It's um, Craig. Craig doesn't have to wear his his losing bet today because Liam is not here. But you know, New York took on San Diego. Honestly, the, whenever these two teams play each other, it's almost must watch rugby. You know, it, it's always a good game. It's always a back and forth battle. I mean, this game was literally decided by the kickers today. Both teams had two tries. Both were converted, so it came down with um, you know the penalty kicks of Joe Peterson and um, Jack Hayden. So Jack Hayden ended up winning it in the 80th minute for New York after a bunch of back and forth battle. I think it actually. Uh, I think the halftime score looks to have been like seven thirteen to like six. I think. And then and the final score ended up being 26 to 23 New York. So, you know, it was definitely a good back and forth battle, but Craig, what did you see and what are your takeaways from this game? Uh, yeah, I did think both teams played pretty well in this one too. I, I think it certainly came down to the kicking mathematically and, you know, Hayton on for big pickup, Sam Windsor, you know, certainly an exciting uh, game for him. I'm sure, especially to have that winning kick. Yeah. You got the big celebration at the end. Uh, always fun to see as a fan and, and to see how, how excited they got for that win. I think um, what I really came away with this game, you know, it, it was so close. It was so back and forth. I thought, I thought that skill-wise, these teams were very evenly matched. To me, what made the difference was, and it's and I, if you read the column, my column this week, this was in there a bit, and it's really hard to quantify, especially with the stats we do have. Um, but I think what, what made the difference to me in this one is – New York is just maybe the most kind of crafty, t- 
talented team around the point of contact. And this goes into a little bit of what I mentioned before about the offloads. You know, they keep the ball alive through contact. They run good support lines. But they're, they're so good around the breakdown in kind of just this like veteran, almost has this veteran Kiwi feel to it, where I'd say two or three times a game, maybe more this particular week, they'll have a runner go into contact. And my first thought is, oh, man, they're losing that ball. They don't have enough support there for that runner and someone comes and makes a great clear out where they just get the guy off his feet or they do just enough to protect the ball. I'm like, man, that was a great ruck to keep this attack alive. And the same token, a lot of times they're so savvy with the counter rucking where they don't waste bodies counter rucking for no reason. You know, they'll they'll get into defensive shape. They won't contest many of the, the breakdowns on the defensive side, but they're real quick to notice when a ball is being underprotected or, you know, the offensive ruck isn't paying attention or not as attentive as they should be. And they'll suddenly bring in that defensive ruck and just drive the guys back. And even if they don't turn the ball over, they've really disrupted the attack, caused it to go backwards, ruined the timing. Maybe the scrum half has to go into the ruck now. So they're, they're just so good around the point of contact. Nate Brinkley is like a legend of ruck arrivals. Uh, you know, he's always pretty much always leading the, the, the league and rock arrivals every week, just quietly going about his business. So I think that, that to me, I, I think they just outplayed San Diego around the breakdown all game and a really close match. I think that, that was enough for, to give New York the edge and then, uh, you know, give them the opportunity to have that big kick for the win at the end. You know, it, it, that back and forth is always good for the league, especially for new fans. You know, those ones w- walking around the tennis courts probably be a good, good choice to, you know, good choice to watch this game. Um, and do we know if Hayden gets like a bonus for this game because one of his penalty kicks landed in the back of the ambulance? I think he might get a bonus just for kicking the winning kick, let alone one, one landing in an ambulance. It'll be, you know, I don't think Windsor's had a good year uh, so far. So we'll see how this plays out. I mean, I, I think he, play, I think Hayden played well enough to play himself some more opportunities uh, in the future. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, last game of the weekend, the national game of the week, um, Utah versus Los the LA Guiltinis. What do we need to say about the Guiltinis? I mean, they've they're coming into the season hurt, you know. Um, Matt Gitto was announced as coming back. He hasn't played this season because of calf injury. Luke Carty tore his peck. Um, Luke Burton, their third-string fly half, got hurt in warm-ups against Austin, so they had to draft in their coach, Orini IE, who hadn't played in six years to start at fly half, and he's now played for the um, second – excuse me, started for the second week of the row, and he went all 80 minutes, so – you know, that's definitely, you know, chemistry has to be a, a little bit of a factor here. But, you know, they just almost got lazy a little bit because the it came, it literally just came down to Utah's boot. Cliven Locher had three penalties that ended up being the difference. You know, Billy Meeks got, but Billy Meeks, Dave Dennis, and Toss Smith got in for LA. Lance Williams got in twice for Utah. And then Niles Saunders kind of made up a little bit for his mistakes early on in the game, you know, box kicking directly into LA for the charge down. So, you know, that, that last second try kind of helped build, get him out of the hole a little bit, but, and then this was also the MLR debut of Joe Talafete. You know, he came off the bench, came in as hooker, even though he had been playing at tight head for Leon in the past year. 
Um, but, you know, I, th- I think it ended up being a good game overall. It was probably a, a great game to watch. You know, we had Ryan James making a few runs, probably could have done a little bit better in some other areas. But, you know, some some people are coming along on both teams. What did you see, Kurt? Uh, well, you know, if someone were to go back to like our preseason podcast when I predicted Utah would win the championship and that L.A. is going to struggle, uh, it would look smart uh, this week, though, you know, for a lot of the season, that has not been the case. Um, yeah, Lo- Lobster, not only did he make some penalties, he had some really good conversions in there, too. Uh, I mean, Houston played pretty well in this one. They they used their physicality against an L.A. team who has a little difficulty with physicality. But I think, like you said, it's really that L.A. is just really missing their halfback pairings that, that were driving a lot of it, – it's such a skilled – impressive sleek attack last year and it seems to be completely gone right now and i guess you can't blame them when you're number four fly half uh you know who's an old coach but i mean that that's throughout they're facing and they're not doing well and they're falling dangerously behind i mean they have a negative point differential through the first six weeks uh i think they dropped into six out of seven teams in the in the west after this loss uh, so they have some climbing to do to get back into the playoff hunt, and I'm not sure that they're going to be able to do it. Um, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens if and when Matt Gitto returns. If he is, you know, it, I guess it's tempting to think that maybe he was not only the fly half, but the visionary behind their entire attack success last year. Yeah, in practice, it's hard to think that even a fly half as talented as Matt Gitto can have that much of an impact. I mean. You can't you can't be literally telling everyone what shape to get in, what lines to run every play. Last year they didn't seem to need that. They seemed to get into really good shapes. It was very clinical and very challenging what they were showing. This year, this is none of that. It was really it's it's almost non-existent. They look like a below-average offensive shape. Even forgetting the fly half, just like the pods that they're running, the lines they're running you know, who they have, what sort of option, you know, last year they had so many options for every attack. They'd pass it out. And then the first guy to receive it had a choice to go into contact. He could do a kind of what I would call a tips pass, like to somebody right off one shoulder or pull it back to another playmaker who now would repeat that whole decision cycle. Okay. He now has the ball. Is he going to throw it to somebody? Is he going to attack? And then, and you know, sometimes you have a dummy runner going forwards and they had a lot of things going on last year this year it just seems like chaos uh, and not in a good way. So I think LA surely has some concerns for the year. I would be, I would be shocked uh, if they repeat as champions at this point, Utah has a lot of things to work on. Um, I think we knew that. I think they also have some halfback issues. I, I think, um, you know, they've changed out. You know, Labser was the halfback. Uh, he's he swip, swapped places with the fullback, you know, a few games into the season. I think they're starting to come along a little better there. Uh, you know, I, I like uh, I like uh, what Saunders is doing. I think his, his quick tap try towards the end of the game put you know, was the, the difference maker in this one. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I still have this hope for U- Utah to uh, – emerge as, as a bigger threat than they've been thus far. Uh, it's going to take more than one week to prove that, but this was certainly a step in the right direction for them. 
I will I will say for LA, they are one of the top defensive teams in the league. They have only conceded 102 points, and there's only one, two, three other teams that have conceded less, and two of those teams have conceded 101 points. The other is Austin, who's only conceded 85. Yeah. So, but then you, you also know, have Rugby Taylor 103, Rooney 104. So this is like a very there's a lot of uh, grouping in defense this year, but I agree. I mean, they were LA was a really good defense last year too. That has carried over a little better in their attack, which is in sort of in shambles right now. And then um, a little bit of breaking news just before we came on the air. Um, Tyler Fisher is actually suspended for the next two weeks um, as a result of coming out of this game. Um, I believe he took Billy Meeks. Um, passed the horizontal and had him land on his back. Um, according to the disciplinary record on major league, major league slash disciplinary, it was a low end entry point. There were mitigating factors that he accepted the foul play. He has a clean disciplinary record. And so they have lowered the suspension to two weeks. He is the next eligible match for Fisher is April 1st against the San Diego Legion. Next man up. Yeah. All right, a little bit of a discussion this week. I think everyone has their their you know choices. I think that's why a couple of different people put out their teams of the week. But you know, Major League Rugby put theirs out, and everyone was like, "Well, why did he get picked?" So we're just taking a look at a couple of different ones, seeing you know where some changes. See just what we think, you know. So you know, Loosehead first up um, from MLR was. Nicholas Silvera from Houston, and then from America's Rugby News was actually Luke White. Um, he was actually possible. He was actually my pick of the week. You know, he mainly been playing lock for the past couple of years, but moved back probably because of injuries, and he held his own really, especially against a strong Nola or excuse me, a strong Utah scrum. You know, in Paul Mullen and Angus McClellan on the tight head side. Yeah, I mean, it's really hard, I, I think, to judge, you know, props for a team of the week if they haven't done something outside the scrum. I mean, to to put a scrum success or failure on one person is, is pretty difficult. I think to say, you know, they held their own against a good scrum, that seems like a, a backhanded compliment for a, a player of the week nomination. Uh, you know, I think Houston had more of an ascendancy in the scrum. Uh so I guess that makes me lean towards Solvera. Um, but I didn't really see any this this week. Uh, in, in many previous weeks, we had a lot of games where there was a scrum domination by one side. I really can't think of it, much of that this week at all. Uh, so, I mean, I guess I, I would say, uh, to me, Houston had a little more of an advantage. Certainly, the, I don't think LA had an advantage at all. Maybe they held their own. Um, I know they didn't want a penalty, but... You know, one random penalty does, to me does not make a game-long advantage. Um, so, I don't know. I guess I, I would lean towards Houston among, between those two. So, there. Yeah. Um, and then both sides agree with Marco Jans, Van Rensburg as the hooker for the week. Um, I, I definitely definitely agree. He's, you know, he had a try this week. Um, he's actually the tied for the leading scorer and the leading try scorer in the league with Bodine Waco with five tries. So he's, he's, he's looking to take that forward forward of the year award away from his teammate in um, Johan Momsen. So. 
It's going to take the tri crown away from Dylan Fawcett, too. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Um, and then um, tight head of the week was Paul Mullen for America's Rugby News and Brian Malt of Null Gold for MLR. I know we didn't, I know we both kind of we yeah. peaked, at, peaked at Nola Dallas, but again, like, what does it even mean to have Luke White if you're ARN of Luke White as your prop of the week and his opposite Paul Mullen also prop of the week? Uh, that's kind of hard to, to rectify those things. I, I think Paul Mullen it makes more sense as the pick. We know Dallas has really struggled in the scrum all year, so hard for me to give much credit to a prop from Nola for doing well in the scrum. If that's why he was chosen, uh, I mean, I think he's, um, I mean, they mentioned um, in his little write-up on MLR that, you know, he had 47 meters run, 17 rifles. Okay. I mean, those are fine stats. Nothing, nothing jumps out there to me as uh, especially warranting a, a selection. So I, I guess I'll, I'll lean towards Paul Mullen. And then the locks, America's Rugby News had Ignacio Dotti and Siosu Mahoney um, both had a try. So that, that was probably why Ignacio got the pick over MLR's pick in Nate Brinkley. I, I see what you mean by Nate Brinkley having a ton of ruck arrivals. Yeah, 43, 43 ruck, ruck arrivals. 43. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm taking – yeah, my Rooney boy here, Nate Brigley, certainly uh, where they disagree. I, I agree with C.O.C. Uh, Mahoney, though. I thought he'd play a really good game for Houston. And then the back row, um, America's Rugby News had Lance Williams at six, Slade McDowell at seven, and Evan Mintern at eight. Um, the only difference with Major League Rugby was um, at the six where they had Malon Algebori, which – I could see it going either way. I would probably give it the nod to Lance Williams because of the two tries, but yeah. based on, based on the stats I'm seeing here, it I do see it either way. Yeah, and didn't I, mean, I could be remembering this wrong? But did did MLR also make Algebra Player of the Week? Um, yeah, that that I had a little bit of an issue with. I didn't yeah. think he deserved that. I I could see his inclusion on you know the team of the week, not necessarily player of the week. Yeah, I think I, I think I lean towards Lance Williams there. Again, I think Utah played a really good game, had a really big win. Uh, obviously, also true of Houston, but I don't know. I see the stats, but watching the game, Algebra didn't stand out to me as you know excelling beyond his peers. So I would I would say just from pure instinct, watching the games, Lance Williams made a bigger difference. Uh, so I'm gonna go with Lance Williams there. And then, as we as we pick it, yeah, like the fans are right curious what we're doing. We just decided it'd be fun this week to like compare the two sets and uh, and weigh in. I guess so, Josh, is there a lot? Is the reason we're going through this is there's a lot of dispute on Reddit this week. Is that uh, an unusual amount of dispute? Honestly, it was just we needed something to talk about, and I, I thought it might be interesting to look at. Okay. <laughs> but you know, yeah, in the facts, there, there's a there's actually they don't agree on any of the positions. None of the positions agree. Like, you know, so scrum half and fly half. So for America's Rugby News, they had Dylan Schmidt and Jack Hayton. And yeah. then for um, Major League Rugby, they had Niall Saunders and Martini Talapusi. Yeah, I can see I can see those. I mean, I think I, to me, I'm going, uh, it's a tough one. I think I'm going Dylan Schmidt in this one. 
Uh, so I'm agreeing with ARN. But I, even in, in the write-up for ARN, they mentioned that Miles Saunders was worth a look. Uh, so I can see the the dispute there. But I think Dylan Schmidt, I think his bet, slightly better judgment and timing this week was a huge difference maker for Houston, so I'll go towards him. Um, fly half. Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to – man, that's a tough one. Um I guess I'm gonna go, you know, heighten just because he had a game-winning kick. Uh, that's always pretty exciting. It was, it was a long kick too, so yeah. it was pretty exciting. No, like I said, I could definitely see it. I could see both of these positions were toss-ups. You could see it either way. So, um, and then I actually was wrong. They do agree in in the name, but not the position. Um, America's Rugby News and Major League Rugby both have Matthias Frere on the team. Um, America's Rugby News has him at eleven. And Major League Rugby has him at 14. Um, Major League Rugby has Martin Iosefo at the 11. And America's Rugby News has Eric Naposky at the 14. Yeah. So. Well, again, I didn't, I didn't really watch Dallas Nola so hard to weigh in on Naposky, But I did think Iosefo played well. So I, I like that. Frere certainly, uh, obviously, both both picked him. Uh, so not much dispute there. But he played very well, uh, too. For San Diego, at least he scored, he scored two tries, right? So, um, good game out of him. Uh, so, yeah, not much to dispute there for me. And then moving on to the centers, we had uh, for America's Rugby News, we had Billy Meeks at the 12 and Alejandro Torres from Dallas at the 13. And then for Major League Rugby, they had Will Leonard at on the, at the inside center and Fazi Fuatai at the outside center. Um, I could definitely see Major League Rugby's, and I could definitely see Alejandro Torres. Um, I'm not so sure about Billy Meeks. I realize he did have a try, but I didn't feel like he had that big of an impact in that game. Yeah, interesting. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick different people than anyone picked here. Uh, I, I I I mean, I would take Meeks over Leonard. I, I think. No one played great in LA, but I thought Meeks had some of the few ball carries that looked threatening, and it is kind of like they're, just put, they're putting the ball in his hands because he's somewhat of a playmaker. Yeah, Will Leonard to me is a good player, but I think he was capitalizing on a lot of the the hard uh, work being done by his teammates to a certain extent. Um, I don't agree with either Fuatai or well, again, I didn't really watch Dallas, but. I think Tyler Fisher from Utah uh, deserves a nod at 13. I thought he was a real power runner uh, for them. So I, um, I I would actually put him in there over either of these guys. I wonder if his suspension knocked him out of contention. <laughs> uh, and then last up, fullback, America's Rugby News had Duncan Matthews and um, another NOLA pick from Major League Rugby. They had Carl Meyer. So – I I I didn't really see any real standout fullbacks this week at all. Yeah, me either. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't have much to add there. I guess I'd have to go with Matthews and say I didn't watch uh, no gold Dallas. All right, I I think that's that was as good as we could probably make it there for a last minute decision. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if some of the comments wants to uh, give their own uh, their own takes. We always, we always like to see fan 
uh, thoughts as well. So feel free to, to lob those over. You know, leave them in the comments on Facebook. Leave them, tell it to us on Twitter. Hell, post them on Reddit. We don't care. We just we want to see what everyone thinks. Uh, let's move into picks for the week. Um, you know, first up, Toronto and Utah. Uh, Saturday, March, this Saturday, uh, 4.30 p.m. on the Rugby Network, KMYU and TSN. For those in Canada, it's on TSN. If it's not on one of the television channels, and is on the direct um, streaming package. So just a heads up there. That is why you cannot see it on the rugby. No- That's why you cannot see Toronto games on the rugby network, unfortunately. Uh, is this another one of those Tor- Toronto Nola games where it's like, who who takes the edge here? <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I, I just still have a soft place in my heart for Utah. So, and they're home. Uh, I think, uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep riding that horse a little bit and think that they're putting things together uh, for a run towards the end of the year. So I'm gonna say Utah by eight. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I can I can see you know Toronto Toronto having those spaces that um, Utah likes to take advantage of. I'll go by three just because I think Toronto's slowly getting their offense going and you know coming coming out of the snowball and hopefully there isn't, you know, at hopefully it's decent conditions in Utah this week, but I can, I can definitely see them, you know, making it a game. I'm going to go Utah by, like I said, Utah by three, just because I think both teams can keep it close. It'll probably come down to a penalty kick again. Uh, Next up. uh, So unfortunately all these next four games all overlap. Um, This is the only one that kind of doesn't, um, you know, we should dispute it. We should have a discussion about is the Brian Ray, Corey Munson Twitter battle about spoilers. Uh, I don't know. Have you seen this, Josh? I saw a little bit of it. I didn't really catch there's a, it. There's a hot question of is it appropriate for MLR to post score updates on one game that's happening concurrent to another so that the games are ruined for you? I I have absolutely no problem with that. Maybe it's, you know, Brian Ray is a Canadian fellow. They have less NFL up there. Maybe they're just not accustomed to that. Uh, I don't know if other sports all play at different times. But uh, certainly I'm used to NFL football where most of the games are at 1 p.m. Eastern. And you see score updates all the time. No one, no one seems to get bothered by that. Uh, but, yeah, so this, is, I guess, is a perfect example, though, of conflicting game times uh, where – there may be the this could be the new should you boo the kicker debate is should they spoil <laughs> scores from other games? Um, you know I don't actually like you said I don't have a problem with it. You know NFL does it all the times how they in, they interrupt games to show you things that happen in other games. Um, yeah. I know the um, the Premiership has all pretty much all the games start at the same time. Um, they all start at like uh, 10, a, 10 a.m. Eastern. Um, the English Premier League has a bunch of games start at the same time. Basketball has NBA and NHL. Major League yeah. Baseball all have games that start I mean, at the in, same in time. In the USA sporting events, they have a ticker along the bottom that just gives you constant score updates of every other event going on. So yeah. I, I certainly have no uh, no objection to it. I, I, I do think it's a little, I don't know, I, I have trouble empathizing with the sentiment that wishes that, the, that those scores would not be shared. I, I much prefer them to be shared, uh, you know, but I guess if, if like, 
if I was a fan of a team and I wanted to watch a game as a fan and not have it spoiled, well, I, that'd be the game I was watching then. You know, that's the live game I watch. If it's a team that you're not a fan of, what do you care about being spoiled? Like, you're going to watch the game and enjoy it for the rugby. Anyway, I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> not not, not everything that bothers me. I think we I think we're all spoiled on like the multi-screen multi-screen options now where you can watch like everything at once. It still is kind of hard to watch four games at once, but the old picture in picture in picture. I will say I will say this is kind of why I want Major League Rugby to succeed, have them get those big deals um Fubo TV if you have the Apple TV devices, um the little Apple TV boxes they allow you to go for screen picture in picture. So, it, it, you know, those giant screens at the bars where they'd have like multiple TVs stacked on each other. It, it works perfectly. You can have four games going at once. Well, I don't know when we're going to get a rugby network app on the Apple TV box. Um, so I could watch it without having to airplay it from my iPad. <laughs> hey, maybe, maybe the rugby network's watching and give us an Apple TV app, please. Yeah. Also, a Samsung app would be great. Pretty much, I have pretty much every smart playing option except Roku in my house. I think Roku is the only place they have an actual app. <laughs> uh, so, like we said, first game of the four starts at 7 p.m. Eastern. Is on the Rugby Network, Valley Sports, SoCal, and Fox 5 San Diego. San Diego taking on L.A. in the Coliseum. We've seen San Diego go both ways. Is this the week LA steps up finally? Who knows? I'm I'm gonna go San Diego just based on recent form. I'll probably take them by seven. Yeah, I'm gonna agree with you. I think San Diego's playing well. I think they're really you know what San Diego's doing very well right now, too, is they're using Tavita Tamalau very well. Um, and it's good to see him seeming healthy. I mean, when he's he's kind of replaced a little bit of that Mikey Teo running power that they had, they lost when he left to go to Utah that they were sorely missing last year. They've got that back a little bit in town. Obviously he's a much different player than Mikey Teo, but he's, he's the big bruising line breaker. And I think they're really starting to feed him a little bit more and that's creating some opportunities for them. So I, I think I like what they're doing. Whereas obviously I just went on a lengthy rant about how I do not like what LA are doing. <laughs> so I'm going to say San Diego by six. Yeah. You know, it, it, it was definitely an interesting thing to see when New York kicked it and Tamalau was the one back there with them, with the fullback. So yeah. you, you'd have him get like a, a 20, 30 meter running head start. Yeah. I mean, it's not that unusual to have an eight back there to, to receive kicks, but uh I mean, when your eight is huge like that, uh, it's a scary proposition. Uh, Next game, first of the three games at 8 p.m. Eastern on the Rugby Network, KBVO and NBC Sports Boston. We have the New England Free Jacks visiting the Austin Gilkronies. Does does momentum carry carry the Free Jacks here? I'm going to say no. I think – Again, I, I, you know, I, I'm reluctant to just say the same things every week, but I mean that's what the team show. And until they develop something new, like Houston, I think is has evolved over the course of the year. I think New England remains a team that is heavily reliant on Bodine Walker for attack, but otherwise they rely on mistakes. You know, they they try to generate 
errors and then capitalize on those. I don't think that Austin is a a really high risk team that you know tries to to push the envelope on what they can do in attack and and therefore be very susceptible to errors that way. Uh, so I, I think New England's going to have trouble. Basically, bottom line, England's going to have trouble scoring against Austin here. Uh, I don't think they're going to be able to get points off turnovers the way that, that they sometimes do, like they did against New York or whatever. Um, so I, I think they're, it's going to be really depending on Bodine Walker to create opportunities. And I, I think it's just, it, that's not enough of a weapon against a team as good as Austin. So I'm going to say in Austin, Austin holds this one by five. Um, just, just so we don't all take the same teams this week, I'm gonna take New England by three. Um, I do agree with you in that they don't have you know that multi multi prong attack. They are a little bit too reliant on Waka, but I think they'll I think they'll be able to take this ATL this ATL film and force Austin into making those mistakes similar to what Atlanta did this past weekend and capitalize on those, even if it's just from Waka's boot. So we'll we'll definitely see there. I'm 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 gonna stick with New England by three. I have not answered my Super Brew picks yet, so we'll see. But that is what I'm going for so far. Next up, probably one of if if not the most least anticipated game of the week, um, Seattle versus Dallas um, in Dallas. So. You know, a good opportunity in front of a uh, def- previous defending champion for to Dallas to see if they can take that next step. Also at 8 p.m. Eastern on the Rugby Network and on Root Plus, I believe that is their streaming service for Seattle. So um, it might be shown on local TV. I don't know. I know there was a couple of games being shown on local TV in the Seattle area. Unfortunately, I don't know if this is one of them. Um Maybe this is the game Dallas gets their scrum turned around. <laughs> you know, they Seattle hasn't had a good scrum this year. They absolutely went backwards against Utah. Um, they had to play with 13 because they were injured and got a yellow card due to that rule that affected Italy as well. Um, I'm going to go with the upset. I'm going to take Dallas by a point just to, mm. hey, it's their first win of the year. Bold. Your picks have been spot on this year, though, so I can't question it. Uh, <laughs> I am not going to take Dallas for the first win. I think get right game for Seattle. I think they win by fourteen. Uh, you know, I, I could see that too. You know, it depends on which Dallas team shows up because they have they have been. You know, hey, we're good. Hey, we suck. Too inconsistent on defense for me. I think Seattle has too many good attacking options. And, you know, if, if they're allowed to attack, I don't think Dallas can really shut them out for long. Then the final of the 8 o'clock kickoffs on the Rugby Network, in your view, the one game that Craig will be watching at 8 p.m. Eastern, Rugby New York at NOLA. Craig, what do you see? Uh, I see New York winning. I think New York's had a good good history of going down to NOLA and winning. Uh, they had one game last year where they got destroyed, but otherwise, I, I think historically in the matchups, New York has done well against NOLA. Obviously, for the season, New York is, is doing a little bit better than NOLA. Um, so, I just I think New York's they had the one loss in New England, but otherwise it's been very good form all year. 
I like what they're doing. Nola's inconsistent. Uh, they did have a nice win against Seattle, but otherwise they have really struggled this year. So they, ha- they haven't done enough to, to give me confidence that they're going to win. Yeah, I agree. I, I, rugby New York by 14 or so would probably be about right. I, f- I, f- I feel like com- I feel that one of those explosive games coming on, you know, I think everything's been pretty close this year, but this is one of those games where you're just like, eh. And then also with the final game of the weekend on Sunday, March 20th, the national game of the week somehow on Fox Sports 1, 7 p.m. Eastern, Old Glory DC at Rugby ATL. Uh, do we just want to say ATL by 30 and move on? <laughs> I think it's at I think it's at uh, Old Glory. It's at Pittsburgh, I think. But uh, still, I mean – I think it's going to be a beatdown. <laughs> Though I will say, I, I, yeah, I, I see the Old Glory fans on Twitter uh, very optimistic coming in. I, I think I saw some some uh, positive contrary from Mike Dabulous, uh, fabulous Dabulous, coming to this week. So uh, you know, who knows? Maybe they'll surprise us. But uh, it's been pretty ugly so far for Old Glory, and it's been pretty pretty for Atlanta. Uh, I don't, I don't see a, a massive shift there. So um, I'm gonna, I'm definitely gonna be scrolling down to the second window of scores in Super Brew for ATL's win here. I'm gonna say 25. That may be the first window, but you get what I mean. Yeah. No, in, you are right. It is in Leesburg. It is at Segar Field. I apologize. I got those mixed up. Um, but yeah, I, I think by 20 at least is what. ATL is going to win. I just I don't see anything out of Old Glory. They did make a signing in Felix Kalapu. Kalapu is like apologize that is not his pronunciation of his name. Um, Jamison Fernanda Schultz is still out. He's not coming back for another a while. Excuse me, he's not coming back till April fifteenth against Utah. So just in time just, to file taxes. Just it's, yeah. Um, so yeah, my twenty at least is my pick there. Um, I think that's it for us this week. You know, real quick, quick and quiet, and sweet. Anything else from you, Craig? No, good to be back after a week off. Uh, maybe we'll we'll suck in Liam or uh, John Cullen one of these days. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, ever enjoy the weekend. Also, big Six Nations weekend. So. And St. Patrick's Day. There is so, everything this weekend. The yeah, March Madness, St. Patty's Day, March Madness. Madness yeah. Formula One starts to this weekend, too. So, All right. If, Hopefully we all survive to next Wednesday, and we'll see you guys again. I would say we'll see if I get any sleep this weekend. <laughs> all right. Thank you for listening, everyone. We we really do appreciate you working with us through our bye week and, and all of the all of our technical issues that we do have and me not being able to speak. Um, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Earful of Dirt. You can find Craig at MM Flyhalf on Twitter. You can find me, Joshua Fredland, at Josh Fred and Leet Speak on Twitter. Once again, thank you for listening, everyone, and go watch the program. Thanks for listening to Earful of Dirt. Connect with your hosts via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Earful of Dirt. Visit our website at earfulofdirt.com or email us your thoughts and questions to earfulofdirt at gmail.com.